Good morning. My name is Alex, and I serve as one of the pastors here at Knox. I want to add my word of welcome to what Sam said in the announcements. If you're here for the first time or you've been joining us for a few weeks, uh, we trust that you will feel more and more at home with us. And whenever possible, we provide lunch. So if you can stick around and enjoy some lunch today, we'd be glad to have you. Let's pray before we begin. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts here this morning be pleasing to you, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I've been driving on the 401 more than usual over the past few weeks. Sadly, I was there again a few days ago. But at least the traffic was moving well. That doesn't always happen, as you probably know. And so on this occasion, people were whipping along, doing 120, 130 or more, as they do. Some of them were weaving in and out like champions. Others were tailgating with a vengeance. And then it all stopped. A blanket of peace descended on the highway. Why? What caused this 400 series level miracle? Well, we saw the light, quite literally. We saw flashing lights behind us. We saw a police cruiser bearing down on us. Judgment Day was coming for some more than others. And suddenly we were all going the speed limit or below. But you know that remarkable transformation of that stretch of the 401 to this utopian paradise of law-abiding citizens was only due to the dramatic arrival of an authority figure. And the police officer came and went, and then, predictably, it all returned to crazy, busy chaos once again. I wonder if at times we're tempted to picture God that way an authority for whom we must do things once in a while, in public or in here. But mostly we're doing our own thing. We're not really paying attention. I once saw a bumper sticker that said, Jesus is coming, look busy. That slogan makes fun of our wrong ideas about Christian faith, As if Jesus had said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now it's time for your performance review. So do we think of Jesus as kind of a demanding taskmaster for whom we have to be or at least appear to be on our best behavior? People were always asking Jesus the question, what must I do? They wanted the secret to eternal life. They wanted a list to check off. They wanted a program. But God doesn't work that way. He doesn't start by giving us a job to do. He calls us, first of all, to be someone rather than to do something. In our impatience, we want to know what we should do. It's easier, in a way. But Jesus says, come to me and find out who you truly are. He invites us into a, into a relationship. 
As you've heard today, we're holding our annual congregational meeting, and we're going to be discussing ministry plans for the next year. And so it seems right to ponder what Jesus means when he says, come and follow me to a group of people. We started this short series with Jesus telling his followers to feed a hungry crowd. But following Jesus is not primarily about doing things for God. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. In this city, many of us are overloaded, stressed out, and exhausted. Even more, I think we're profoundly restless. The best word for it in our culture might be malaise. It's a feeling of general discomfort, fatigue, or dissatisfaction. It's a lack of well-being, a lack of health, with no obvious cause. And so rest is what we need, deep rest. Jesus invites us to follow him and to be his disciples, not in order to make us busy, not to weigh us down with new lists of things we have to do. In the Gospel according to Matthew, Jesus uses the words, come to me, to call his disciples. And he does that twice in Matthew. Once in Matthew 4, and then again in Matthew 11, he says, come to me. And in these passages, we learn about the way of Jesus, how it's distinctive. First of all, that it's based on the kingdom proclamation of Jesus. Secondly, that it's lived out as we are chosen by him and called to follow him. And third, that it leads to our resting in Christ. Jesus starts by saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. What does that mean? Well, first of all, he's not saying that if you repent, then the kingdom of heaven will come near. This does not hinge on you or me. No, he's saying the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's happening with or without you. But you need to repent to be part of it. To repent simply means to change your mind or to turn around. So what is the kingdom of heaven? Well, the Bible begins in its earliest pages with a picture of life on earth as it is in heaven. But then it tells us the story of how we lost the harmony God created for us to enjoy. God made the world to be good, and there was nothing wrong with it. How is that possible? That's not the world we know. Well, because God ruled and we were in complete accord with him. That's the same kingdom of heaven Jesus came to tell us about. The kingdom of heaven is the renewing, healing reality of God's sovereign presence and power. When God rules, there's a perfect harmony that reflects heaven. When I was in my early 20s, I had the chance to drive a Porsche 911 Turbo one time. Anybody know that car? Now, I'm not really a car guy. I was quite happy owning a Toyota Echo for 15 years. But I have to say that driving that Porsche was a religious experience for me. So imagine with me a beautiful car, whatever that looks like for you, any car at all. You see it rolling down the street. You're admiring it. But as it comes closer, you notice something strange. It's being driven by a child. 
What's going to happen next, do you think? Well, probably trouble, maybe even disaster. There's nothing wrong with the car, but it was not designed to be driven by a child. You need someone else in the driver's seat. I think that's a picture of our lives. Your life is an amazing gift, but you're not meant to be trying to control it. You were designed to serve and worship God, and when you don't, when you put yourself in charge, things are going to fall apart. So take the example of forgiveness. The Bible tells you to forgive someone even if they have wronged you. And that's hard. Why is it hard? Well, because you want to be in the driver's seat. That's basically what sin is. This person hurt you. Why should you forgive them? It's easier, it's more natural to be angry, to be bitter, resentful. But then things will fall apart. Medical science tells us that anger isn't just bad for your psychological health. It's bad for your body too. It hurts your friends and family as well. Because if you're consistently angry at someone important in your life or in your past, it's going to seep out into your other relationships. Is the kingdom of heaven coming in your life? If you don't obey the king, if you hold on to that grudge, if you refuse to talk to the person you're angry at rather than trying to forgive them, then you are insisting on staying in the driver's seat. When God rules in our lives, we repent and we get renewal and healing rather than brokenness. One more thing about the kingdom of heaven. Notice it's coming near. It's near, but it has not arrived yet, not fully. And we live in that tension between the kingdom having already come close in Jesus and in the church as the Holy Spirit hovers over the church. So the kingdom having already come and not yet been fulfilled. And this goes a long way to explaining many of the struggles we experience in the Christian life as individuals and corporately as the church. But the Holy Spirit never gives up on us. And Jesus is the king who comes twice. He comes twice into the world, first of all, to suffer and die at the cross, and then at the end of time, he will return in power to judge and rule and to set all things right. We are called to wait for and work for his coming kingdom. The next thing we see in Matthew 4 after this kingdom proclamation is that Jesus calls his first disciples. He says, simply, come and follow me. But there's a problem there. Jesus actually isn't doing it right. He'd started to teach and preach like any rabbi would have. But the way it worked back then is that if you wanted to follow a teacher, a rabbi, you had to go to that person and sit at their feet. Then the rabbi would examine you. But these fishermen... These fishermen would never have passed the test. They were not ready. They didn't have the education. Their resumes were short on everything. Except Jesus doesn't do what a rabbi was supposed to do. He doesn't wait for them to come to him. He goes to them and he calls them. 
And so we see that Jesus doesn't choose the best and the brightest. He doesn't choose according to the standards of our world. Rather, he chooses those who are willing. God is calling you right now because he wants to use you powerfully in your relationships, in your family, at your workplace, at school, in your retirement, in the ways you pursue interests with other people, other like-minded people. Would you say you've made yourself available to him and his purposes? Last Sunday, I mentioned an app called Lectio 365 that I found to be a helpful daily guide for praying scripture. A couple of you asked me about it after the service, and I realized I should have had a slide, so today I do. And I was working on my sermon on Tuesday and Wednesday, starting to, and I felt, I was feeling like this wasn't the right passage. I just wasn't feeling comfortable with it. And then on Thursday, the day that I was going to be focused on sermon preparation, I listened to Lectio, and the main text that morning was Matthew eleven, twenty-eight to 30. And it was like, you know when you turn on an air conditioner, you get that first blast of cool air, and you realize I can stop sweating? God's word directs our paths. Lectio 365 always concludes with this prayer. Father, help me to give myself away to others, being kind to everyone I meet. Spirit, Jesus, help me to... Oh, I got it wrong. Father, help me to live this day to the full, being true to you in every way. Jesus, help me to give myself away to others, being kind to everyone I meet. Spirit, help me to love the lost, proclaiming Christ in all I do and say. If you pray that prayer or a prayer like that every morning, and if you're willing to follow Jesus, I promise that his kingdom will come through you. Watch him. See what comes next. Notice also here that Jesus chooses us. We don't choose him. Sometimes we talk about finding God, but that's not really how it works. Last Sunday, we heard Jesus say, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. But maybe those are words that sound empty to you. Some of you are struggling right now. You don't see what God's giving you. You don't see any fruit in your relationships, in your job, in your family, in knowing your purpose, finding meaning in that? Well, believe this. He chose you. You may not trust yourself or your ability to overcome your challenges, but you can trust the promise of Jesus to stay with you through everything and to make a way where to you there appears to be no way. Some of you aren't doubting Jesus. You're doubting his promise to work through you. When Jesus chose you, he had a plan. And when you feel like your life isn't going anywhere, the plan remains. God is still with you. And so Jesus says, follow me. And that means that our primary call is to be with Jesus. He didn't tell the disciples where they were going or what role he had for them. He calls us first to become like him, not to do something for him. And to become more like Jesus, you have to know him. 
And to know him, you have to know his word. What really makes disciples? It's the words of Jesus enlivened by the Spirit. He says, come and follow me, and they do. Are we listening to him like that? Are we ready for the call of Jesus today? We get ourselves ready by reading his word, by praying with others, by asking the Spirit to help us understand what he's saying to us in our individual circumstances and in the life of the church. And I'm convinced that if you pay attention to Scripture, and if you do that in the context of community, opening yourselves up to other brothers and sisters in Christ, if you're willing to repent and to change your mind when conflict comes along, God will renew you, heal you, and guide you. That's where following Jesus leads. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. We sometimes think discipleship means doing things like service and mission. Maybe you've had past experiences of church like that, whether healthier or more dysfunctional. Yes, we see here Jesus asks his disciples to leave everything for him, to leave their boat, to leave their family. Yes, he calls us to be fishers of men, to be fruitful, to multiply. And yes, there's a cost. All these things are true. But in Matthew 11, Jesus goes on to define discipleship as rest. He invites those who are weary and burdened, not those who have it all together, not those who are in control of their lives. That's where every disciple begins their journey. Jesus offers us rest, but it's not the rest we hear about. It's not maybe the rest we expected. Because there's a yoke. Yoke is this agricultural word. It's a device farmers put on animals to harness their strength, to plow fields, to carry burdens. Basically, a yoke attaches you to a burden. Jesus doesn't say, come to me and believe in me, and I'm going to take all your problems away. He says, you must attach yourself to me. He says, give up your right to the life you want, the life you think you want, and let me rule completely, and then you will find rest for your soul. And that's shocking for us because Our culture says over and over again that you're only free if you're the master of your own destiny. No one has the right to tell you how to live. It's up to you. But Jesus says that's the problem. You're already burdened. You're already restless. Recognize it. You're already attached to something. There is a yoke on your back, whether you admit it or not. So if you come from a religious background, maybe you're attached to being a good person. You go to church, you help people. I've lived in East Asia twice over the course of my lifetime, and I made wonderful friends there each time. And something I noticed was that my friends were often burdened by what their parents wanted them to do in a way that I hadn't been. And so if you're from a traditional culture, maybe that's your attachment, meeting your family expectations. In modern secular society, we're attached to our individual accomplishments, what we've achieved, how much money we have, your status, your skill. 
The Bible says that apart from God, whatever it is you are attached to, whatever it is you're striving for, it will consume you. If you put it at the center of your life, it will exhaust you. It will let you down. And so Jesus says, take my yoke. I am the only authority, the only boss, the only supervisor, the only Lord, who if you submit to me, I will forgive you when you fail. And I will satisfy you when you embrace me. The Holy Spirit wants to come into your life and flood it with true freedom. But that's only going to happen as you change your mind, as you put Jesus in the driver's seat. That's the rest that he offers. He went to the cross so that we could be at peace. At the cross, Jesus experienced the opposite of rest. He took all of our burdens. He was weighed down like no one has ever been. He took all sin on himself. And because of that, he can say to us, come to me. He can say, I took your restlessness, and now I can give you rest. I'm the only one who can provide the deep rest you really need. From the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. He's done everything we needed. He's saying, I've opened a new and living way for you to come home and to rest in the loving presence of my Father, God Almighty. And so that, friends, is the good news of the kingdom of heaven. The world says it's up to you. You have to finish the work. You have to earn it. But the gospel says, the good news of Jesus says that you only have to receive it. It's already finished. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And I love how the message, that paraphrase of the Bible, puts this passage from Matthew 11. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That's a promise from Jesus to all of us. And my prayer for Knox as we head into our annual meeting after the service today is that we will learn those unforced rhythms of grace together over the next year and well beyond. 